great words there, especially the refrain, <clears throat> chorus, I guess is a better word, um, where he says, I give myself to thee, for thou in thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I owe no other master. I trust that's true this morning. My heart shall be thy throne. Think about that. Our hearts are the throne of the living God. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Great challenge for us to live that way in our world today. And um, as I was looking back and, again, I saw Louie back here, and I remember 25 years ago, our first Sunday, which would have been June 1st, right? Yeah. That's when uh, we came to Wayside as pastor. And uh, we had a school board meeting, and then we had a deacon meeting the next night, I think, or something like that. And I think one night was a school board meeting, and I went to it right after we got here. And I think Gerald was there, and I wrote some other folks. I can't even remember everybody was back in those days. I think I got home at 1 o'clock that evening. Remember that? I come in, and that says, what have we got ourselves into? <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> what have we got ourselves into? And... Uh, I uh, have wondered that for 25 years. But uh, anyway, we are uh, looking forward to next week. Pastor Donald will be uh, speaking to you. And uh, we are going to be um, vacationing, I guess you would call it, and uh, hopefully looking uh, for our future. So you can keep us in your prayers the week after that. You see that Pastor Gerald Weiler will be here. And uh, we will not be here that week either. So uh, we're lo looking forward to two weeks of not being with you all. And I know that God will <clears throat> continue to bless in those areas also. So um, that's sort of the schedule that uh, we have in the future uh, for ourselves here. We are looking and moving our way through Second Timothy. And uh, we have come to the second, third chapter this morning, verses 10 through 13. And persistence is the word that I have chosen this morning for our title. Persistence is a, a great word. Also, let me just mention this. Uh, my mother will be here, so if you can help me out with being sure that she's taken care of this week, I'd appreciate that also. I'll throw that in here. Timothy can take care of himself, but mom, you know, sometimes you can. Uh, if you could help me with that, I'd appreciate that. Okay, I'll get all that out of the way. <clears throat> but anyway... We're talking about persistence and being persistent. One thing that I've noticed <clears throat> about, <clears throat> we'll call them the left. I don't think anybody will throw stones at me in this congregation for that phrase, is their persistence. They never give up. Okay? They, they just continue on. They, they look to drive their agenda, and they do it <clears throat> in a very persistent way. If they fail one time, they just keep coming back. And doing it again. <clears throat> Maybe things don't work out on this front, so they kind of change the tactics and have another front. Well, persistence, it's a, it's a great word, and it works many times. How many of you ever heard this phrase in your life? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. You ever heard that one? I'm sure you have. And you know, there's some truth to that, isn't there? <laughs> because persistence many times does pay off in the long run. And what Paul is challenging Timothy with in this section is to be persistent. Not to back off, not to change course, 
persistence. Now, we have been moving our way through 2 Timothy. And you have heard me say that Paul has said a number of times, don't be ashamed. That phrase has come to me more and more real all the time of what our culture is doing to us to cause us to be ashamed. Ashamed of the Bible. Ashamed of the stands we take against abortion and same-sex marriage. It's not legal documents they're passing. It's simply, you've heard me say this, it's simply saying, you know, you need to just sort of back off of those topics. God forbid. God forbid that we ever back off the topics that are found in God's Word. And we find that <clears throat> this needs to be persistent. It needs to be something that we brainwash our children concerning. You say, brainwash? When I was in Virginia, I think I've told you this, we were fighting against sex education coming into the state. And this kind teacher looked at me one time. She says, reverent, and I know I'm in trouble when I hear the word reverent. You know that, how that works? Reverend, you're trying to brainwash those kids. And I said, absolutely, ma'am. That's exactly what we want to do. <clears throat> we want to brainwash them. <clears throat> we want them to think a biblical way. We want them to think according to God's Word. And, you know, we need to think biblically. That should be our goal. That should be what we're all about. And Paul continues to charge Timothy here. You know, he says, Timothy, remember your calling. And Paul also told us about... God appointing him on the road to Damascus. He never got over that. Never get over your salvation. Never get over the fact that God loved you. He sent his son to this earth to die on an old rugged cross. Never let it get old and commonplace. You one day, and I say this, I guess I think about this almost every Sunday. One day I'm going to wake up in heaven with angels. And the Son of God with His nail-printed hands are going to be there with me. And you know, <clears throat> that should excite each one of us this morning that we have that kind of a future. And so, you know, remember these things. Don't let it get commonplace. Don't let it get just run-of-the-mill. Timothy, remember. Remember the life that we live. Remember the ministry that we have. And remember the keys not till next, or well, it'll be three weeks from now, in verse 14, where he says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Now, you've got to learn them first, right? We just had graduation yesterday. It's one thing I heard one of our students say that they changed their prayer. Is that Reuben said that? I think he said something about it. He changed his prayer to the fact that, I think Ms., uh, Mrs. Hellman said, you know, you shouldn't pray. I forget how it went. I should have got this thing right in my mind before I started it off. But it was something like, you know, it wasn't may, help me to do good on the test, but help me to recall the things that, I've studied. That's a better prayer, isn't it? You know, remember those things. Bring them back to memory. And that's what he's saying here. You know, continue in those areas. Don't be ashamed of them. Don't be ashamed of what your grandparents taught you. Don't be ashamed of the fact that there's men and women's bathroom. Don't be ashamed of the fact that modest dress is the way it should be for God's people. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the fact that <clears throat> we use the Bible as our guide words and our standard. Timothy, continue in that. Wayside Chapel, continue in that. Myself, continue in that. Paul is 
driven by this purpose of seeing the name of Jesus Christ advanced. He wants the entire world to hear about Jesus Christ. Isn't that our purpose? We've got it in a, in a mission statement here. We bring young people there on Sunday, Sunday school, Wednesday night, so they can hear the gospel. That's our purpose. That's what we're all about. That's what we should be. Timothy, continue on. Don't stop. Because we're living in a day when we have to defend the truth. I don't think any of us would argue that fact. There are many. Now, I'll say this word, and you just forget it, so then I say it, okay? There are many wimpy Christians. Okay, now strike it out. That are running around this world today <clears throat> who are afraid to stand for anything that's found a counterculture. And we need to understand, Timothy, you've got to be strong. And that's really what this passage is all about. Timothy, you must be strong. You must be triumphant <clears throat> in battling apostasy. Carry on the work of the old soldier. You know, Paul sitting over there with that armor on that he has describes for us in Ephesians. <clears throat> Those helmet marks where the swords have hit him of Satan and, and the scars on his armor and his shield and that sword that he holds in his hand with the Word of God. What a soldier the Apostle Paul was. No, you need to carry on the work. Don't get tired. Remember Douglas MacArthur? Now, it was a little before my time. I read his autobiography called American Caesar. And one day I was talking to Kelly Dillon at the rest home, and I says, Kelly, tell me about Douglas MacArthur. And I said, he said, you know, when they dismissed him, Truman dismissed him in 1952, I think my days are right, 53, he said there was a lot of people who were ready to get rid of Truman, right? Because MacArthur had the hearts and the minds of the people. And what was his, what was his idea? Let's not stop at the, I can't remember the name of the river. Let's just keep going into China. <clears throat> and let's take care of this business once for all. Where would we be? Now, I know this is political. I'm going to say it anyway. Where would we be today if we had followed his advice? You know, we need old soldiers, don't we, who are persistent, who say, <clears throat> let's move into the battle. We're not here just to police things. We're here to win a victory. And Christian friends, we're not here just to police things. We're here to win a victory for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, be diligent, be persistent, don't get tired, don't get mundane, <clears throat> don't allow yourself to become commonplace, persistence. And he's telling Timothy persistent in three different areas this morning. First of all, we'll see in his following, verse 10, in his enduring, verses 11 and 12, and thirdly, in his guarding in verse 13. Father, <clears throat> as we spend these moments... Help us to be persistent. Help us to be ones who look to you for the guidance and the direction that we need in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Following, first of all, two things I want you to notice. You have your outline there with you. <clears throat> There's a contrast that starts this whole situation off. Start right there in verse 10. And the contrast is really just the first line. But thou hast fully known. But, contrast, he is marking himself in sharp, distinct contrast to verses 1 through 9, especially Janice and Jambres. Remember those two guys last Sunday morning? Tradition, now they're not found in Scripture. Tradition says these are the two magicians, I got it right this time, who stood before uh, uh, Moses or Pharaoh and were able to copy the miracles. 
He says, don't be like those individuals who are, and boy, what a list of, of things we saw last week. And, of course, we said the head sin was probably disobedient to parents because when you fail to respect parents, you will no longer respect policemen, you will no longer respect teachers, you will no longer respect anybody. And so that has to be probably the lead problem in our world today. It's really about authority. And so he says, you know, don't be like those. He says, this group is, is, is sharply contrasted to Paul. He says, but thou hast fully known. The faithfulness of Paul is in stark contrast to the ungodly character of false teachers. We need to be in stark contrast today. I fear that's probably not a lot of <clears throat> churches' motivation anymore to be in contrast to the world. Most of the time we sort of are just four or five steps behind what the world is doing. We are to be sharply contrasted to false teachers and the world around us. And he says, <clears throat> we must influence others we must not allow false teachers to influence us, but Timothy, you have fully known how I taught, how I lived. Fully known is a very important phrase. It almost goes to the word of intimacy. It's not quite there, but he's talking about, Timothy, you and I have worked together so closely that you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do in the life of a person. And you do too. Maybe you're this morning a living example of the gospel of Jesus Christ changing you completely and totally, taking you off the road that was broad and placing you on the road that was narrow that leads to heaven. The only way to transform lives today is through salvation. It's not through some new government program because if that was true, folks, we would all be improved, wouldn't we? Our whole world would be improved. No, the only way to change people today is through Jesus Christ. And he says, you've watched, Timothy. You watched those towns we went into and preached the gospel. And you saw people changed. You saw how lives were, 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 were different from what they used to be. That's one of the greatest blessings we as believers have, is to see the changed lives of individuals. You watched it, Timothy. Paul had great confidence in Timothy. <clears throat> and he had great confidence in the message that he preached. It's important because after the contrast, he gives some qualities. And that would be B on the outline. <clears throat> some qualities. And if you have, if you looked at other versions, we find that the word my is before every one of these words. There's going to be seven words that he's going to use to describe his doctrine. And all these words have a definite article in the original, too, which means they are very, very unique. He's setting these words apart. And so these seven qualities that he is now going to use to describe his life are personal, my. Notice the personal pronoun. Remember, pronouns are always important. The personal pronouns are going to be used. And he's going to be talking about himself. And he says, Timothy, these are the areas you should focus on. Wayside Chapel... These are the areas we should focus on. Christian friends, this should be our focus because Paul gives them to us so strongly in this section. What are they? He begins the word with my doctrine. And really the word my goes all the way through here. My doctrine. Sound 
instruction. Understanding, reading God's Word. What is doctrine? His teachings. What God told him. What he learned on the road to Damascus. How God worked with him on the backside of the Arabian desert for two years. Doctrine. And he even says in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for what? The lead word is doctrine. Come down to chapter 4, verse 3. What's, he going, to, what's going to be a sign of the last times? He says, for there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. Three times we have the word doctrine used in this very short space. Doctrine. There must be a core of, of information. We must believe certain things. The virgin birth of Christ. The, 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 the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. We must believe this is God's holy word. <clears throat> we must believe that God has revealed himself to us. And after doctrine, it says, my manner of life. It was known, and I think there's a, there's a sequence involved in these words that Paul is using. Not only is it the teaching, but he says, it's how I practiced what I preached. Folks, now we're getting into the meddling, right? It's not just the words that are out there. I assimilated them into my life. I made them a part of me. You saw that, Timothy. You remember those times. We'll see those in just a second. Where it wasn't just some kind of a, <clears throat> a, a page that we put up, but we lived these principles. Oh, you know, there's something attractive about that for God's people. We need to live what we know. We need to make it a part of who we are. Timothy, you saw how I live. Would you like somebody to follow you around 24 hours a day, watch your life, observe you? So the relationship these two have. And he says, Timothy, you know how I live my life. What a testimony. Oh, that could be said of us that we live for him no matter what the consequences. He moves on. My purpose. I wasn't out there just putting in time. We were doing something. Isn't that a great thing to do? Isn't that great for a church to be doing something? To have some kind of purpose? Not just going through the motions. Isn't it great for a classroom to have a purpose for meeting? Isn't it great for a, for, a, for a Christian or a group to say, you know, when we come to church, we want to hear God's word. There's some purpose to what we do. We want to see people saved. We want to see individuals change in the image of Christ. We're not here just for fellowship, and that's great. But this church was placed here by God for a purpose. We are to be a light in the city of Bucyrus in Crawford County. Not only in our own... <clears throat> Use, but in the missionaries that we support. And anything that causes us to change or lose that purpose is some of those weights of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that, do, that does so easily beset us. They may be good things, but, but our purpose is not to feed hungry people. Our purpose is to feed them Jesus Christ so it will change their souls. Purpose. Faith. It's the next word. Living the truth professed. 
not just talking a good game, but making a difference in our lives. Faith. I trust you can take God at his word today. He's proven himself to be so faithful. Boy, he's been faithful to me. I know he's been faithful to you. Just look back over the course of your life. For some of you all, it's maybe 20 years. For others, it's 60 years. And for others, it's 80 years. And I'm not going any further. But just look back over the course of your life. Can you ever think of a time God's not been faithful to you? Now, I'm not going to ask you the question, how many times have you not been faithful to him? Well, we got some issues there, don't we? But he's always been faithful. What about this church? Has God been faithful to this church? Absolutely. Long-suffering? Oh, isn't that a great word? Long-suffering. If there's one quality that we can praise God for is that he is long-suffering to us. Patience that never gives up. <clears throat> we understand that these qualities should be true of Timothy. Because there's going to be times when things are not going to go well. Boy, that's a revelation to everybody here this morning. When there's going to be issues. And it may be that we're rejected. God's word wins, as I said last Sunday morning. Charity. Great word. Love is the word we would use today. God loved you when you were a sinner. We need to be able to love our fellow brothers, first of all. Remember, that was the two qualities we saw last week. But also, we need to love the lost. We do not know Christ as personal Savior. And patience is the last following that he tells Timothy he must understand. Patience to stay by the stuff when it becomes hard. Not to squirt whenever the little pressure comes. You know how the, you know, it's about watermelon season, isn't it? You probably have your watermelons. You put that seed down there on the table and you push your finger down on it. What's it do? You can almost have a battle with watermelon seed. You know, you can shoot them at each other. But patience doesn't shoot out when the pressure gets on it. It stays there. Are you known for your stability, your persistence? When Satan applies a little pressure into your life, do you just sort of spatter someplace? Or do you say, I'm in this for the long, for the long haul until God comes and gets me and takes me home to be with him? Patience. If you're going to be persistent, you have to follow certain directions. But second, you've got to endure. And it really, almost the words are alike, aren't they? Verses 11 and 12. And now he talks about some victories that he won in verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions. Paul had some rough times. Boy, read the book of Acts. You know, I've said before, somebody said, you either loved Paul or you hated him. You either ducked or puckered was the word I always heard. You know, you loved him as a person or you hated this man. You could not be neutral about the apostle Paul. When you read the, the whole area of the book of Acts, you, you're not neutral. You know, people made their decision whether they're going to believe him or not. And he had persecutions, he had afflictions, he says, which came unto me at Iconium, I'm sorry, Antioch, at Iconium and Lystria. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Enduring. Notice these victories that he won. Timothy, you were there. <clears throat> Where's Timothy from? Lystria. 
read Acts chapters 14 and 15. I think that's right. 13, I think it's 14 and 15. Second missionary journey. Paul enters the city of Lystria after he's already been run out of, I think it was Iconium. I got my date, my place is right. And as he comes into Lystria, uh, there's a man who's, li who's lame. And this is one of your devotions for the week. He's lame in his feet. And as this man is there, Paul looks at him. He fastens his eyes on him in the book of Acts. And he says, get up and walk. Remember this? What faith? What if the guy would have got up and stumbled and fell down? Paul had no doubts about this because he was doing God's work. The guy gets up and walks. Remember what happens? They bring the sacrifices out. He's a god. The tradition there in Acts is there were two gods that were supposed to have come down years ago and they blew it, and so they weren't going to blow it again. If you want to read all about that stuff, you can. There's a lot of interesting facts going on there. And so we're not going to blow it this time. And so here's the priest comes out, and he doesn't understand the language. Isn't that amazing? Here he is preaching the gospel, understand the language. Well, there's some applications we could make there too, right? But he preaches. <clears throat> they're going to bring these. They're going to sacrifice. And Paul finally, it says, figures out what's going on. He says, no, 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 no. You can't sacrifice to me. I'm just a man. Boy, I'm glad he wasn't a television preacher. He'd have had the pool put over here, and he'd have had the mansion put over here, and he'd have had something else put over here for himself. He's not a TV preacher. I should say pros prosperity preacher. I put it that way. Some guys on TV are good. Okay, I've got to clarify myself here. You know, he'd say, you know, put all these things for No, what's he say? It's not me, it's God. That's the focus. And he starts with that creation because he's talking to pagans. He doesn't talk about the Jewish nation. He talks about how this God was the one who created us all. And pretty soon people come from Antioch, I think it was Iconium, I can't remember the town. You all can look at for yourself. Okay? He goes to one of these towns, and it says the next verse, they take him out in the street and they stone him to death. One day he's a god, the next day he's left for dead. Now Paul's a man of great courage, what does he do? He gets up from that. Now whether he died or not, you can debate that. There's lots of difference of opinion. I don't think he did, but he gets up. He goes back into that city. I'm sure there were some shocked folks in the city of Lystria. And Timothy, no doubt, observed all of this. And then he goes to the other city. I think it's Iconium. <clears throat> and then he comes back to Lystria and preaches the gospel again. This is a man of courage. This is a man who understands that he has a message that's going to change people's lives. He says, Timothy, you remember these times that we were persecuted but I endured these persecutions. Timothy, we were able to draw strength. You could draw strength from the way God worked in my life for the advancement of the gospel. And I think in the back of his mind here he is, he's about to die. He says, you know, the Lord delivered me out of all of my persecutions and afflictions. And you know, that's true, isn't it? Sometimes God delivers us death. And you have a brand new body. No more problems. No more difficulties. <clears throat> God can either heal you in that sense by taking you to heaven to be with Him if you're one of His children, or He can heal us physically. We have a tendency to lock in on the physical healing. No doubt about that. Because there's this great 
desire within us to survive that God has placed there in the image of God. And Paul is also saying, you know, and he, I could go back to Philippians and we could talk about this from Philippians chapter 1. For me to die is Christ, but you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I'm struggling, he says there, between, betwixt two, whether to go on and be with God or to stay here and help you. But God is telling me that, to stay here. So <clears throat> he understood that his sufferings and his persecutions and his afflictions one day will be healed by the divine entry into the golden gates of heaven. And you know that's going to be true for us also. If you know Christ today as personal Savior, if you don't know Christ as personal Savior, hell is your future. And nobody wants to go there. I would hope not. Not in your right mind. Because what did Jesus Christ do? He came to this earth, born as a baby, lived 33 years, died on a cross, shed his precious blood that covered our sins, went to a grave, and three days later he arose victorious and defeated sin and death and hell so you and I can know the joys of our sins forgiven and the joys of heaven's our home. And so he was going to be healed one way or the other <clears throat> from his afflictions and persecutions. But in this enduring, he makes, some first, he makes some predictions. Secondly, in verse 12, and these predictions are, if true in that day, they are even more of a prediction today for us. Yea, and all. Notice the word all. That will live godly. So there's a qualification here. You've got to live godly. And the prepositional phrase, in Jesus Christ. How do you live godly? By being in Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can live godly is to allow Him to fill you and work in your heart. And so those who are living godly, which is the goal for all of us, He says you must do that when you are in Jesus Christ. What's going to happen to you? Here's a prediction. You're going to suffer you're going to suffer persecution. <clears throat> I was reading this morning in my devotions, John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And he talks about the disciples, the second part of the prayer. The first part's about he and the Father, and then it's about he and the, disi er, the disciples. And, of course, those who are going to believe will be the last part, those of us who are part of the church in the future that are going to accept the message that the disciples give. And he says, you know, they're, that they hate him. You know, he says, I, I don't pray that, that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the world. Well, that preposition is important, isn't it? I don't pray that you're taking them out of the world, <clears throat> but that you keep them from the world. What a prayer request for your children, for your grandchildren, for fellow church members, children, especially little babies in our church who need to accept Christ as personal Savior. That ought to be the heart cry of every person in this church. These young kids are going to accept Christ and, 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 learn to, and learn to love Him because they see it in our lives. So he says here, <clears throat> and it's going to suffer persecution. And so, Timothy, we must live a certain way. The self-centered Christian who only serves when it's convenient they're really not a threat to Satan. Satan sort of has them where he wants them. There's a lot of self-serving Christians. I was reading again John 10, where he talks about the hireling. 
Remember the hireling? <clears throat> the true shepherd watches the sheep. But the hireling, the person who's been hired to do the job, says, you know, watch money, man. watch the motivation of this. Whenever it gets tough, they just sort of run away. Not the true shepherd. The true shepherd protects the sheep. And so he says, we must live godly in the midst of this persecution. Following, enduring, guarding. Verse 13. <clears throat> I think it's really an application of verse 12. <clears throat> but wicked men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Notice the subjects. The subject here would be, first of all, first part of verse 18 or 13. False teachers will grow worse and worse. As we move towards the end of time, false teachers are going to get worse and worse. Well, that's a prediction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I said last week, <clears throat> this is going to happen. Evil men and seducers. Two categories here. Both. And with all of our communications and advancement today, it is becoming more and more easy for people to be seen and heard and for the message to be there. Wax. Isn't that an interesting word? They're going to wax. I had to do some work on that. You know, the idea here of waxing means to increase. It means to move in a certain direction, the wrong direction. Really, the idea here is almost a military term. It's the idea of a pioneer hacking his way through the wilderness. Well, I was reading about how they settled in Ohio and Marietta and how they hacked the wilderness out. And if you know, that's the first settlement in the state of Ohio was Marietta. And, and uh, boy, I can't remember the guy's name. Pullman, I think his name was. He was a general in the Revolutionary War. And he came and, and he settled there and he made this little settlement and then he started going into the interior. They would hack out their way. Could you imagine these pioneers? For us, you know, it doesn't even seem possible. But these pioneers, they would go in this vast force and they would start making inroads and cutting down everything so they could live. Well, that's sort of the idea here. These individuals are, are pioneers of evil doctrine and they are making inroads into the church and they're hacking their way in. Always be on guard. Always be discerning. Always allow God's Word to reign supreme because <clears throat> the idea of waxing here is to be steady and to be consistent in the blinding of men's eyes. It happens incrementally. It doesn't always happen at once. It happens very incrementally. You know, we start to give up on certain things. And then we have a tendency to give up on other things. And the dominoes start to fall. Just be careful. Because they're going to constantly be involved in this kind of an idea. So you've got to guard against the subjects, but also you've got to guard against their methods. It says in the last part of verse 13, deceiving and being deceived. They not only are deceived themselves, but then they start believing what they use as deceptive words. They become fully convinced that they are right. And they lead others into that same tragic situation. Most of the time, 
people like what appeals to the flesh. And if you're a good salesman, and I'm not, I'm sure that you can sell stuff all you wanted to. But you've got to develop an appetite or a desire in some way. You know, that's really a, a fleshly thing, you know. I've got to have something to fulfill what I need. That's what these individuals are involved with. You know, they're deceiving others. They're, they're, and they're being deceived themselves. They get to the point where they <clears throat> actually think what they're saying is right. They want to allow the spiritual aspect of man to somehow become a part of who they are. <clears throat> and it's amazing how this works. Timothy, persistence is what you need. You must be persistent in who you follow. You must be persistent in your enduring. You must be persistent in what you guard against. It's all there. And Timothy, don't quit. Don't quit. This has been the message. Because there are young eyes... There are older eyes watching you and your testimony. Looking to see an example of godliness because of Jesus Christ. Timothy, continue what you've been taught. Isn't it amazing <clears throat> how the things that individuals are taught seem to sort of slip? And sometimes it just happens because of pressure that comes from families where, you know, stands that were taken maybe one day about a dance no longer are there because of pressures that come. Or we could talk about anything. Divorce, anything. You know, well, you know we used to stand for this, but, you know, whenever things start to happen, we, we've got to be careful that we don't, we don't, uh, we don't fall out of favor with, with the society we would live in today. You know, we, we, we've got to be careful about those things. So then we start backing off and we become ashamed of what we know to be right. You know, oh, that's not so bad. That's really not going to be that significant. I wonder what Paul would say about that, don't you? Paul? Timothy, don't quit. Timothy, the message is important. Timothy, you have an example of how you fully have known my doctor. You have fully known my manner of life, all those words that we talked about. You have watched lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy... I'm about to go. My days are about over. My life is ending. Okay, that'll be next chapter, chapter 4. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. What a marvelous testimony that is of the Apostle Paul. That'll be in a couple weeks for us. We'll be seeing those, those great statements that he makes. But he says to Timothy, now Timothy, you've got to keep going because the lives and the souls of men are too important. Their eternal destiny is in the balance. And you've got to be faithful. So let me just close this morning by asking you, are you leading as you should? Are you leading the way that God would have you to lead in your home? 
I trust that you are because it's important for us to make that decision that we're not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ no matter what he says. Father,